Argentus has produced a series of talks where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today he looks at some more of the problems Moses faced when leading the people of Israel into the Promised Land. What's in a name? My name is Moses. My brother's name is Aaron. Miriam's my sister. It's simply how we're called so that when we're communicated with, we'll be able to respond. Surely there are all manner of things that go with a name, such as the reputation that's attached to it, and the power, or lack thereof, that accompanies the name. Well, God has made it abundantly clear that his name is so important and so sacred that the strongest penalties are to be imposed for any failure to revere and respect his name. It's holy, set apart, unique, and to be honored. One morning as we were offering these sacrifices, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering with the peace offerings. Aaron and I then went into the tent of meeting. When we came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Suddenly, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. When the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces in fear and awe. After this, two of the priests who were sons of Aaron, Nabab and Abihu by name, took their firepans and after putting fire in them placed incense on it, and they offered strange fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord instantly and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. The Lord spoke to me at that moment, so I turned to Aaron and said, By those who come near me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. At that, Aaron remained silent. I called out to two men, Mishael and Elzaphan by name, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and ordered them to come forward and take the still-clothed Nadab and Abihu outside the camp. At the word of the Lord I then addressed the entire family of Aaron, saying, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, so that you will not die and that he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, or you will die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. I was then relieved and when they followed these instructions to the letter. Now this may seem cruel or extreme to some of you, but he's the one who created us from the dust, loved us, freed us from the most powerful kingdom on earth, set up a wall of fire and clouds to protect us, parted an entire sea for us to traverse safely, gave us food from heaven, water from the rocks. Do I need to go on? He is God, and if he decrees something, it's because he wants us to live and not die. The priests are supposed to be an example for the people, and if they act disrespectfully towards the name, what can we expect the congregation to do? Soon after this, there was a son of an Israelite woman whose name was Shelemith from the tribe of Dan, and whose father was Egyptian. He went out among the sons of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name of God and cursed. So the people brought the man to me, and I ordered them to put him into custody until I could seek the Lord as to what to do with him. The Lord's command was quick and clear. 
He said, Bring the one who was cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head. Then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If any one curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So, what's in a name? God has made it abundantly clear that his name is so important and so sacred that the strongest penalties are to be imposed for any failure to revere and respect his name. It's holy, set apart, unique, and to be honored. Those who have failed to give his name proper respect and to obey his commands have paid the ultimate price for it. You see, each one of us carries something, a story and a witness, and it strongly influences others, and more so if you are a leader, and especially if you are a priest. The witness to other beings created in his image, when you string together, makes a legacy. What legacy will your witness bring concerning honoring God's name? I find it's one of the most crucial questions in my existence, don't you? This comes from the Holy Bible in the book of Leviticus, chapter 10, verses 1 to 7, and chapter 24, verses 10 to 16. Larry Gentis, Moses, the leader of the children of Israel in the desert. The three vicars, Reverends Richard Coles, Kate Botley, and Giles Fraser, talk about Christmas. This is part of a series where we shall hear one episode for each Sunday in Advent. What about Advent? You see, I, I, Advent is my favourite season. Invidious to have faith, but it is my favourite season of the churches here. The music is lovely. It's all French and in G minor and dark and bitter. <laughs> and I love all that. But also, no, my but it's the preparation. It's like Lent before Easter, isn't it? It's this sort of period of leanness before you hit the feast. There's something about light coming to you in darkness. Do you actually really fast in Advent, then? Kind of, yeah. I only have a blended whiskey, not a malt. <laughs> <laughs> You see, I'm, slight, I'm something of a heretic on this. I do think of Advent as Christmas in waiting. So it does have Christmas qualities to it. So when... Anticipation. Wider, absolutely, in terms of anticipation, but sort of semi-realisation, it's coming. I don't like the idea that the clergy are always so terribly mean-spirited about the anticipation of Christmas. And the, I mean, it used to be the case, I think no clergy really do this anymore, there'll be absolutely no whiff of any Christmassy sort of music yeah. or very Puritan in the lead-up to Christmas. You just I, can't do that. You then. can't. Do Not that. if you're Church of England. But you must have someone in your church that complains that the crib's gone up too early and that the trees yeah. have gone up too early. We had a woman in one of my churches who used to get really angry about Christmas trees in church because they were pagan. And I tried to explain to her that if you took everything that was pagan out of Christianity, there wouldn't be a lot left, to be fair. <laughs> but she, she weren't having that, you know. She was like, you would come to church and she would have dragged the tree out the front door again and you would be dragging it back in. Uh, find them. We have a, we, so we do an Advent carol service, a Christmas carol service and an Epiphany carol service. And it's always interesting to plot between those three points where everybody else is. Advent carol service, people say, why couldn't we have a little town of Bethlehem? You think, well, it's not Christmas yet. Christmas, everybody gets that. Epiphany, they're thinking, 
What are you talking we've about? We've done this. Ages. I'm glad it's all over. That, yeah. That's my point. That's the tree down on Boxing Day. Especially as clergy, we've had this marathon up to the big day itself. So just when we're ready to pop the champagne corks and, you know, get us glad rags on, everybody else is going, oh, I'm glad that's over. You there's know, my mother's took a tree down. There's a really interesting class alignment of which service you go to. It strikes me that midnight mass is generally pretty middle class thing to do oh, that, right. that's where that's where where i am now i'm not in a middle class parish christmas day is really really big midnight mass not so much i'm really quite interested Did in that because so i'm in a, a sort of mixed parish but uh, midnight mass is our biggest service of the year really and christmas day is when the farmers come so the farming families come all in sunday best it's a tradition so the farming families come and then everybody goes to the cemetery in the graveyard yeah, to visit we, that's the graves where we of their, that's where we used they to go, go to the cemetery in the graveyard to what? visit the graves of their day. dead yeah. yeah that's what we on used to do christmas day, day. we yeah. never went to church as kids on christmas day ever we never went to church um, so but so we used to go to the graveyard because you didn't grow up in an explicitly religious family mm. but it seems to me that it was a family that in which all those traditions were observed i've heard you talk about it before yeah we used to all meet at christmas day at the graveside of my nanan and my that's grand mother to you, Thank you. Um, <laughs> Nanan and uh, <laughs> I mean Nanan and Grandad and leave flowers and all that sort of stuff and that that was our little ritual kind of thing that's what we did so it, it was really weird because that's one of the things isn't it when you when you get together with life partners and stuff you have to sort of figure out where your traditions are and one of the first stand-up arguments me and Graham had when we were first together was where you spend Christmas morning because it for him it wasn't Christmas unless you were in church being miserable and that thing is showing it's your presence oh, why is it miserable because everybody wants to get out of there as quickly as possible because <laughs> there's turkey to be having <laughs> I thought you didn't like turkey I thought you just said you went too much of it. No, no, no. David, my, my partner, who was born and raised half in the north and half in the south, he loves all those traditions. So we have a thing... Like, I think the clergy, of course, we have midnight mass and then we have an eight o'clock in the morning. We've been mm. probably really busy around that. You're a bit tired. First thing right? I did in parish was cancel that eight o'clock. Did you? Yeah, if you've got a vicar, we're family. We're still opening presents at that time. Yeah. There's um, no way that's happening. But David has uh, this kind of elaborate... So he does stockings for the dogs, right? We've got five dogs. He's got opposable thumbs. He does stockings for the dogs. So after I come home from midnight mass, all I want to do is go to bed, but then we have to fill the dog stockings, but the dogs can't be in the room because it will spoil the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So I'm there I've got haggard with fatigue, and he's going, don't shut up, shut up, don't say that, don't take the dogs are listening. Because we do the dog stockings. And then I have to get up at six o'clock, and then he insists on having smoked salmon, caviar and champagne for breakfast, which is very nice, but I just really need to go to work. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, then that thing, once we're done, which is usually by midday, then... Uh, you sleep, don't you, then? I actually get into pyjamas and watch The Sound of Music. No! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah pyjamas and The Sound of Music. You get into pyjamas and you watch The Sound of Music. Yeah, and we eat... I want to think about that as a mental picture for a moment. One of my clergy friends, what she does is she buys the biggest takeaway she can on Christmas Eve at the latest slot that the curry house will deliver it. And then she takes it out of the bags and puts it in the fridge. And that's her Christmas lunch for the day after. Ping and ding, straight in the microwave. Do you think people would be disappointed if they thought that clergy were not actually embodying in every breath the sort of spirit of Dickensian Well, you summed it up there, didn't you? Because you said, actually, I just want to get to work. Although it's a vocation, although it's a privilege, although it's a calling, although it's all those things actually part of it is a job as well but then it's that beautiful thing isn't it that beautiful thing with the start our church we have everyone in jammed to a midnight mass everyone's drunk from the pub da, 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 and then it's completely dark we switch all the lights off and the only light is at the crib and we have the reading of the prologue to the gospel of john 
gets me every time. So me the, too. So the so moment for me, me in too. all my cynicism, me too. in all my grumpiness, in all my Scrooge-like behaviour, in all my, oh, no, we've picked too soon, I'm not eating any more sprouts, oh, my word, Away in the Manger is the worst song ever invented. Oh, come on, don't look at me like that, Giles. It's I hideous. I love it. Oh, man. Oh, I love it. Do you know, I already it. had quite a low opinion of you, but now it's just gone down I even further. Kate, there's it. something you need to know. What? You love it too. I love don't... it too. Oh my! <laughs> so I'm I have to, you have to drag it out to me, but it's true. I do. The moment for me is after midnight mass when I walk out into the empty churchyard and I can hear them all doing their handshakes and doing all the you know merry Christmases. And I always made sure I would stand alone in that churchyard and look at the sky. And mm. that's it. That's the moment for me when I go. I don't have to sing away in a manger again. I don't have to do all that. I don't have to the trees up the presents. If it's not done by now, it's never going to get done. Mm. And that's the moment. That's the moment of Christmas. And I just look at it and I cannot help but sob. And in my last parish, there used to be a farmer at that point who would sidle up to me and go, "All right, vicar." And I go, yeah, and he go, whiskey? Yes, please, that'd be lovely. And he'd just pass me the hip flask and leave it with me. Oh, two tunes for the price of one coming up now. It's the Albion Christmas Band with While Shepherds Watched and Sweet Chiming Christmas Bells. Sweet girls, sweet joy. 
Ian Rose is in charge of Soundwaves Radio in Sussex. Ian has produced a series of short thoughts, one of which he shares with us now. A woman who felt really lonely once bought a talking budgie for company. But each day she was back at the shop complaining that the bird hadn't said a single word. At the salesman's insistence she bought it a ladder, a perch, a bell, all to no avail. Then she returned to the shop to tell the salesman that the budgie was dead. Amazed, the salesman asked if it had said anything before it died. Well, said the lady, as he laid there on his back with his little legs in the air, he whispered, Got any bird seed? <laughs> we may laugh, but I know that I too have the tendency to concentrate on the things that don't really matter in life. The Bible said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things, that's the things that God knows you need, will be added to you. I'm going to remember that. It's worth remembering, I reckon. The Reverend Dr. Philip Noble has many interests, which you can see on his website, bubblestrings.com. In this series on heart and soul, he's talking about different aspects of Jesus' ministry. And today he encourages us to be still, to find God. When I was young, a teenager, a young teenager, I became fascinated in conjuring and learning how to do all sorts of tricks. And I practiced and managed to do one or two things when I was 11. In fact, I did my first little performance for the Sunday school in our church. Well, one of the tricks I was trying to do was to get a ring off a piece of rope. Unfortunately, I didn't have a ring that was the right size. So I asked my mother and she kindly took off her wedding ring and gave it to me. And then she went through the house to get on with something else. So I was practicing away at this trick and I dropped the ring. And I looked down and I couldn't see it anywhere. So I went round the floor with my hands and searched underneath the chairs, underneath the table, even underneath the sink. No sign of it. So I thought I'll have to tell my mother. I went and told her and she was extremely cross. That's no good, she said. I gave you the ring. I want it back. Go and find it. So I returned once more to the kitchen and went around the whole kitchen again, this time sweeping the floor so that I would be able to get anything that was there from underneath something out. Still, there was no sign of the ring. Where could it have gone to? Well, if you ever do lose something, maybe you know this is true already, but the first thing to do is to go back to where you think it should be or where you started. So I sat down in the same chair, same position, my legs crossed, and I mimed holding the ring in my hand and just letting it drop. And I looked down, I saw that my long trousers had turnips on them. Put my fingers down into turnips. And you know what? In the left-hand turnip, I found the ring. Well, I was so happy. I went and told my mother, I found it. And she was very pleased too. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus tells about a, a widow who has lost one of her special coins and she is so desperate to find it. She sweeps the house until she does. And when she does, 
She has a party. She's so rejoicing. She's so happy. So for today, if there's something that you've lost or you think that you're missing, one clue is maybe to sit down and think where it should be and where you were last. Calming yourself down is very good. And more often than not, I think you'll find the thing that you think you've lost. It's a message that Jesus tried to give to his disciples who are always wanting to go on and do new things and have exciting adventures. He wanted them just to be still and to search where they were into their hearts for the deep things that God had to show them. And that can be true for you today. If you want to know more about God, don't go running around trying to find him. Sit down and notice what he's already doing in your life and be very grateful. He might even throw a party.